Amen. Amen. Lord, that's our heart. We do. We stand in awe of you. Lord, you are a great and an awesome God, even as we'll see in the text tonight. Lord, just the thought of who you are brings awe and reverence and fear. And Lord, I pray that as we approach your word, as we approach your throne of grace, Lord, as you would open up your very word and your Holy Spirit would speak to us tonight. We ask in Jesus' name, you give us ears to hear everything you have for us tonight. Not the words of men, but the word of God. And we ask, Lord, that you'd use this marred and imperfect vessel, Lord, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Great having you guys here. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Well, the book of Genesis, as we talked about, is the foundational book of the entire Bible. If you don't understand Genesis, if you don't get a hold of it, you're going to struggle with the rest of Scripture. But that being said, when you understand Genesis, it's really going to help you with the rest of Scripture. And so far, we've seen some transitions from the patriarchs as we continue on through the text. And the last few weeks, we've been moving, you know, from, we went from Abraham to Isaac, and now we're moving more from Isaac into Jacob. And as we've seen in the past several weeks that Jacob had deceived his blind father. Jacob, right? Jacob, the spiritual one. You know, when Rebekah was pregnant, she knew something wasn't right. And she went before the Lord and the Lord told her, you have a war within yourself. There's two nations at battle. And one nation will be stronger than the other. And the younger, the older, will serve the younger. And we know, though, that when they were born, that Jacob came out. He was hanging on to Esau's heel. Esau's name means hairy because he was hairy when he came out. And Jacob literally means heel catcher, but it could also be described as deceiver. Well, he lived up to his name last week. If you were here, we saw how the whole family seems to kind of be a mess. All of them are really messing up. You know, we thought we put that behind when Abraham and, you know, come on, and Isaac, this is Isaac up Mount Moriah, willing to be sacrificed to the Lord Isaac, right? Man of great faith. But we saw that in time, any one of us, as we walk with the Lord, we can get in our flesh. And what happened to Isaac? You know, we saw that they started playing favorites with their kids. You know, Rebecca loved Jacob and Isaac loved Esau. And Esau, from a fleshy perspective, was a man's man. He was the kind of young boy or young man now that any dad would love to have. He was a hunter. He's a big guy, hairy guy, right? Oh, that's my son, right? And I can almost just hear it. But then Jacob, you know, was a little more reserved and smooth-skinned and stayed at home. But, and again, some have played him off as not being a man's man, but he was a godly man. But we saw that over time what happens is that we can strive. God gives us a promise, and we don't really fully believe it. Well, we believe God can do that, but, but maybe not always. And maybe God needs my help sometimes, and that's exactly what happened in the last chapter. Because Isaac says he's going to give the birthright to Esau. Rebecca overhears it. Rebecca doesn't knows that Esau is not the one to be given the birthright, but instead of going in and talking to her husband in a kind and tender way to say, "Well, 
you know, hon, don't you remember that God showed up and told us that Jacob was supposed to be the one? Instead, we know that Isaac was doing this in secret. He didn't tell his wife. And why did he pick Esau? Because he loved his game. Because he loved the, the fact that he could hunt down food. And boy, you know, I really want some of that food. So son, go hunt me down some food and bring it back to me. Isaac is pulling an Esau. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup, but now Isaac's going to sell it for you know, a, a good piece of venison or whatever it is he was going to hunt down for him. So Rebecca comes together with this plot with her son to deceive their dad. And that's always bad. When moms and dads are pitted against each other, that's never good. But it has happened in every home in human history. Amen? Do our kids do that? Go ask mom, then go ask dad. And mom, dad told me, and mom said I could. And we know, you know, they just... They just play you against each other. If mom says, okay, can I go? Then could dad say, right? And here's what's happening here is Rebecca's telling her son, I overheard your father. Here's what I want you to do. Go out and get a lamb out of the pen. I'll make the food like he eats. And his son says, well, but mom, if I do that, he's going to know it's me. I'm not Harry. He's going to know I'm not Harry. And I don't smell like Esau. He smells like, you know, the field and animals. And I don't. I shower. You know, mom, we smell different. But she comes up with a plan. I take the lambskins and put them on the hands on the back of the neck. And as we know, when he finally comes into his father to get the birthright, the birthright that God had already said was his. Guys, if God has already said it's ours, we don't have to strive to get it. Amen? But instead, the fleshly plan is in motion, and he has numerous opportunities, as we saw last week, when he's confronted to repent. Esau, is that really you? Yes, father, it's me. How did you get the lamb? So, how did you get the food so quick? Oh, the Lord delivered it into my hands. Don't put God into your lies, whatever you do. Amen. Shouldn't lie at all. But can you imagine? It was the Lord who brought it to me. That's how I got it so fast. But here we have this family lying to each other, deceiving each other, and then we know what happens. Esau comes back, and by the time he gets back, and the birthright's already been given away, Esau is mad at his brother and he hates him. He says, boy, doesn't he live up to his name? Isn't he the deceiver that we named him? And so that's where we are in the text. And we saw how Esau responded after losing the birthright. He goes out, we saw previously that he had married two of the Canaanite women. And even after marrying Canaanite women, Isaac wanted to give him the birthright. They were a a pain and they were a, a source of distress for his parents. And so now we've come to the end of the chapter. You got a wife deceiving a husband, a husband trying to give a birthright that doesn't belong to his son, a son who's plotting with his mom to uh, try and steal the birthright that he thinks belongs to his brother. Like, oh man, what a mess. This could be on like at 8 o'clock on Channel 7, right? I mean, this is totally the soap opera situation. But you know what is so good? Our God is a God of love and grace and mercy. And we can get in our flesh, and we can get outside of God's will, and we can totally blow it, and God can still bring us back, and God can still restore us, and he can still use us. No matter how messed up you might feel like your family is right now, God can turn that around. No matter what distressing, discouraging time you're having right now, God is still faithful, and God still has a plan for your life if you will let him use you. So that brings us to tonight's text. And now in tonight's text, we know that it ended last chapter that Esau said, as soon as my father dies, and he thinks his dad is near death, he lives 43 more years, but he thought he was near death and he said, as soon as my dad dies, Jacob's dead. I'm not going to do it while dad's around. I don't want to grieve the heart of my father, but as soon as dad dies, Jacob's dead. And Rebecca hears this and she says, ooh, 
This isn't good. I'll lose both my sons. Because if he kills Jacob, then the kinsman redeemer in our family is going to have to go kill him. This is not good. I need to send my son away. See, it looks like in the end, like he got the birthright like he wanted, even though he was deceptive. And it seems like, hey, it all turned out just the way they wanted. Why are we saying that they did something bad? Because even though he ends up with the birthright, the consequences are coming. And the consequences are going to be heavy. He's never going to see his mom again. She thinks he's going to leave for a few days to go get a wife, and she will never see him again. Her, you know, deceptive behavior is going to have a heavy duty price. So that brings us to tonight's text. And here's what I want you to see. And I struggled a little bit with the title. I titled the message, Inheriting Our Father's Faith. When Our Father's Faith Becomes Our Own. Now, some of you, I thought, well, some of you may be sitting here saying, well, my dad is the furthest thing from a Christian. But I want to give you the example of in a godly home, how the faith transitions from the father to the children. But if you're here and your dad does not know God, you're going to be encouraged in the text tonight as well, because one of the points speaks to that. So if you're a note taker, inheriting our father's faith, when our father's faith becomes our own. Number one, as our father blesses and challenges us. As our godly dad, now this is a message not just for sons and daughters, but for moms and dads. Because maybe you're on the side, well most of us are, we're on the side now where we need to give our faith away. Can I tell you that my, one of my biggest prayer requests constantly is that my kids would love God even more than I do. That my kids would be on fire for Jesus Christ. That it would cease to be dad's faith that they're following, but it would be their own. That it would be their faith if I'm not anywhere near them. And that's, how does that happen? We're going to see in the first part of tonight's text that a dad has a calling and a, and a job to do, and that's to bless his kids, but also to challenge them. Number two, when does our faith become our own, no longer our father's faith, but our own, not just following someone else's example? When we seek to please, when we seek to please our heavenly father more than our earthly father. When we come to the place where, again, we should honor mom and dad, but we need to be honoring God more. Guys, there's a time when it's, it's time to change dads we're trying to please. When again, not that we won't honor our parents because we should do that till we die, but what I'm saying is that our focal point when we wake up in the morning is not pleasing our earthly father, but pleasing our heavenly father. And we're going to see that in tonight's text. Number three, when we hear directly from the Lord. When we no longer get the message from God secondhand. This is why, guys, we need to be in the word every day. Instead of just coming and hearing about someone else's time with the Lord, you getting time with the Lord yourself. The illustration I always use for this is, you know, would you, if you want a vacation, would you send a friend on the vacation and have them come back and tell you about it, or would you rather go yourself? You know, the point is that others can go and come back and share with you, and you might get a little enjoyment out of it. Boy, boy, I'd rather have the sand between my toes. How about you? And the point is the same here with the Lord. I love to hear how God's ministered to others and it ministers to me. But there's nothing more precious than my own intimate one-on-one time with the creator of the universe. And guys, that's where we need to get if our father's faith is going to become our own. If the faith of the the previous generation, if the faith of those that we look up to is going to become our faith, we need to move beyond hearing what God did in their life to hearing directly from the Lord ourselves. Number four, when his presence produces a heart of worship. Here's how you're going to really know when you are a man or a woman of faith, when you have a heart to worship the Lord. 
As you fall in love with him, how can you not worship? Now, I'm going to be real direct. I know, surprising. I'm going to be direct with you guys. Can I tell you something? It concerns me when I see people, and again, not that I'm looking because usually I'm just worshiping, but if you don't worship, there's a spiritual problem. And I don't care what your voice sounds like because God doesn't care. Amen? If you love somebody, you can't help but let everyone, you know, man, I love you, Lord. And Lord, bring that heart of worship. We're going to see that in tonight's text. And then finally, when we no longer see the need of putting him to the test. Okay, God, if you do this, then I'll love you. Okay, God, if you do that, then I'll serve you. Okay, God, if you do this, then I'll give you this. Guys, we don't put God to the test. Amen? We don't tell God what to do. He's already done enough. We obey. So let's begin. Inheriting our Father's faith. When our Father's faith becomes our own. First of all, it becomes our own as he blesses and challenges us. Look at verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. Now, previous chapter, he had blessed Jacob, but he had blessed Jacob unknowingly. He thought he was blessing Esau, which was outside of God's will. And now, some time has gone by, not much, short amount of time, maybe just a day or so. But in that short amount of time, he no doubt has heard from the Lord, no doubt has probably talked to his wife, gotten to the point where he realizes, you know what, Isaac is, Isaac's realizing that Jacob is the son of promise all along. He's the one that I was supposed to bless. Praise God for his grace. And now he calls him in, and it's no longer in the midst of deception, no longer in the midst of blindness, but knowing who his son is, he blesses him. He ministers to his son in a place of clarity of mind and obedience to God's word. And again, having been reminded by the word, having been encouraged by his wife, Isaac wakes up to his call to be a godly man, husband, and father. And what I love about this, I wrote in my notes, it's never too late. Isaac had totally blown it. Isaac was blind. Isaac had gotten into his flesh. Isaac was playing, you know, choosing his children, playing favorites with his kids. He was outside of God's will, but God got a hold of him, and now he's doing what God had called him to do. If you're a mom or a dad here tonight, it's never too late to start raising your kids in a godly home. It's never too late to start being the spiritual leader in your household, men. It's never too late. God is faithful. He blesses his son, the son of promise. And these. This is a great example for us, especially dads, because the first thing he does is bless him. The word bless means to salute, praise, congratulate, or encourage. So he's about to send his son out, but he encourages him. He blesses him. You know what? As parents, we need to do this for our kids more. I have to confess, sometimes we can get into a rut. The only time that we address our kids is to correct them. What? You didn't do your homework? Get in here, right? I mean, and you, you know, and it can be that now every time, you know, most of the time you're talking to them is, you know, you're challenging them. And again, there's a time for that. But if that's all you ever do, you're going to bring harm to your kids. Your kids want to please you, whether you believe that's true or not. God has made them, designed them to want to please their earthly mother and father. And if we are constantly berating them and tearing them down and telling them what they've done wrong and all over them and blah, blah, boy, I mean, just, it just defeats our kids. It just destroys them. And I'm not talking about self-esteem because we don't believe in self-esteem. We believe in Christ's esteem, amen? 
We need to learn to deny ourselves. But guys, they need to know how valuable they are in the eyes of the Lord. And I would hope that my kids, though an imperfect example, would get at least a glimpse of what their heavenly father is like by seeing the love of their earthly father. And we can do the opposite. We can destroy it and make them think of the heavenly father as being a God up in the sky with a lightning bolt that's just waiting for you to make a mistake and smoke you where you stand. If all we ever do is berate and tear down and chastise and get after him, only all that, you know, negative, negative, negative. Lord, help us to show them incredible love. You know, I'm studying this today, and I just wanted to call my kids, each one of them, and just tell them I love them. You know, because that's what it does. It just, it stirs up your heart. Lord, am I telling them enough how blessed I am, how much I love them? Am I telling them enough about how much you love them? Am I showing them enough in the way that I treat them? What an exhortation for us as parents. Isaac about to send his son out, and he blesses him. And as we're going to see in a few verses, he's going to pass God's blessing and God's promises upon him. Remind him of God's promises. And we too should, again, lovingly, graciously remind them of all that God has done for them, of the greatness of God, of the blessings he so wants to pour out on their lives, of the inheritance that he has set aside for them in heaven. God has given us spiritual headship over our kids, and we are to be their number one source of spiritual instruction and encouragement. Church on Sunday and Wednesday and youth group and children's ministry ought to be gravy to what happens at home. It's not, oh, well, I'm going to leave it to the youth pastor to raise my kid. Again, praise God for youth pastors. I loved being a youth pastor for many, many years. But you know what? What happens should be gravy. It should be taught at home every single day. And then when they come to church, it should be reinforced. We should be a blessing to our children. May we encourage them when they've done well. May we point them to Christ in our words and in our actions, encouraging, loving, celebrating with them when they've done well. And again, I saw so many kids that were desperate for their parents' approval, who were brokenhearted because all they ever heard was criticism. I've sat with teenagers, some of the biggest guys you've ever seen would sit and weep because they would tell me, my dad, all he ever does is rip me. Every time I try, no matter what I do, he tears me down, he destroys me. I've I've gone to hospitals where young men and women have tried to kill themselves because their parents have... Now again, the point is, maybe you've grown up in that home. It's not an excuse for us to live outside of God's will, but boy, we certainly understand why a, a child would respond that way, don't we? And may it not be so in our homes. Lord, help us to be different. I pray we're so different that when the neighbor kids come in, they feel blessed. Amen? Dude, your parent, man, they're, they're pretty, well, wow. You know, what's up with you guys? Jesus is what's up with us. So he blessed him, but notice, now he blesses his son, but it, it doesn't stop there. Look what it says. Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. I love the balance. He blesses him, which means to encourage, to come alongside, to salute, to embrace, to encourage, a source of blessing. But notice also, he charges him. The word charge there could also be translated challenge. So he loves his kids, he blesses his son, but he also challenges his son. This is a form of godly love from a parent to challenge our children. You know, when I read this verse, I thought of the six-word 
philosophy of ministry God gave me 20 years ago, and here's what it is. Preach the word, love the people. People ask me, what's the, your philosophy of ministry, Pastor Dave? It used to be preach the word, love the kids. Well, you're a little older now, so preach the word, love the people. But that's the point that what am I called to do? To charge you, to challenge you, but also to encourage you and to love you. And that's what we see here as Isaac's been woken up out of his stupor and he's starting to do again what God has called him to do and he looks at his son whom he's about to send out and he blesses him and he loves him and he encourages him and then he challenges him. Both of those should be true of godly parents. Preach the word, love your kids as parents were to encourage and to exhort them in the Lord. And then he says, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. What's the command here? You are not to be unequally yoked with the idol worshipers of this world. Now, did, where did Isaac learn that? From his dad. Don't you love how the faith is being handed down from one generation to the next? Isaac was told, we're going to go get you a wife. But not right. You're going to stay here. God has told Abraham. Abraham is, thinks he's dying at that point. Calls in Eliezer, a picture of the Holy Spirit, and sends him out 500 miles to go get him a wife and to bring her back. Rebecca being a picture of the church. And she comes back and is joined to the son of promise. And Rebecca has to have faith to go even when she's never seen the one she's going to marry. A picture of us, the church, that we have faith even though we've yet to see Jesus Christ. What a great picture. But where did Isaac learn? You're not to marry from within the land of idolatry. You need to marry somebody who is a person who follows after the true and living God. The standard had been set for him, and now he's, the pass, and now he's passing the standard down to his children. My grandkids are going to have heavy standard if that gets passed down. Because I, I have heavy standard for my kids. And you know what? That's what we see here as it's being passed down. A command Isaac knew from personal experience as he waited for the woman God had for him. God brought her to him and God's will would be the same for his son. We can teach our kids by experience both in what to do and what not to do. You know, Abraham told him, now did Abraham do everything right when it came to his wives? What's the answer? No, he took another one, Hagar. How'd that work out? Not so good. But you'll notice that Abraham didn't pass down to his son. Now, son, if things don't work out with the first one, get yourself a spare. He didn't do that. He, he was like, bad place, son. Here, let me tell you something. The one God has for you, that's the only one you want. And you want to wait for the one God has for you. And you know what? God's going to tell me when it's time, you just wait. And now Isaac is passing that same thing down to his son. Blessings often come with charges. God will charge us with something and a blessing follows it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You seek first, you make him the priority, and then he'll take care of the rest of it. Number two, the second thing, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You want to be lifted up? Humble yourself. You want all these things added unto you? Seek first the kingdom of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, he will direct your path. So again, there's a blessing that comes when we are obedient to the challenge or to the calling upon our lives. And so he challenges his son. He blesses him and he challenges him. And then he says to him that, and this is not easy to hear, Arise. 
Go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Now, go to your God-fearing relatives. You're an heir of, pro- of the promise. You are not to be equally yoked together with the world. It's through your line that the Messiah is going to come. It cannot be tainted. God has a woman for you. She's not among the idolaters. She's among God's people. And guess where they are? They're 500 miles from here. And you don't have a car. Or a plane. And we're going to see, it doesn't look like he takes a donkey or a camel either. It looks like he walks 500 miles. And you thought it was tough to find a godly woman. 500 miles walking through the desert. Son, I bless you. I encourage you. Now I challenge you. 500 miles, get to hoofing. Thanks for shopping, son. And you know what? Uh, You're the son that stays in the tent all the time. You're not really the hunter. You're not the guy dealing with wild animals. But guess what? You're going by yourself. And by the way, if you don't leave right away, your brother's going to kill you, so you might want to get going. This is pretty much what's happening. This is quite a challenge. Amen? This was no small task. But you know what? God needed to bring Jacob to a place where he would listen. Jacob needed to be in a place where he would come to the end of himself, where he would be out of his comfort zone, where he would be forced to look up. God could have done it anywhere, but God chose to bring him to the end of himself. So he sent him to the same family, and again, his desire is that his son would be more spiritual than him, and he was going to go a great distance to find a wife. God's highest isn't always easy, but it's always worth it. But guess what? We're going to find out in coming chapters, somebody's waiting there. We saw him in the verse there. His name is Laban. And Laban is going to be a walking lesson for Jacob. Because Jacob is the private in the deceiver's army, and Laban's the general. Laban is going to take deception to a whole new level. And for the first time in his life, he's going to find out, ooh, now I know what it's like to be deceived. I don't like that. And it might change the way he treats people. And so he's sending him 500 miles away to get a wife. But oh, by the way, when you get there, Uncle Deception's waiting for you. And it's not going to be pretty. But it's part of God's plan. And guys, God's plan isn't always pretty and it isn't always easy. Amen? Laban's going to turn the tables. And boy, when he has to deal with this guy... It's going to be so difficult. For, it's going to, he's going to be taught so much. So a major point here. Blessing that he's going out to get a godly wife, but the consequence is that he has to go get her. Why does he have to go get her? Because he deceived his father, and in deceiving his father, his brother began to hate him, and now because his brother hates him, Isaac got to just wait in the land, and Eliezer went and got his wife and brought her back. Well, guess what? He's the son of promise. Yes, God's going to bless him and use him, but because of his disobedience, he's going to be going 500 miles out and hanging out with Uncle Laban for a while. Sin has consequences, amen? God's will still going to be done, but I'd much rather avoid some of the consequences. How about you? Hey, Lord, how about we get your will done and we just do it your way? Because that seems to work out a lot better. Isaac was kind of hanging out, waiting, and she showed up when it was time. He's going to track 500 miles to go get her. Jacob fled, it says in Hosea, to the country of Syria. He fled. So we know that he was leaving with great haste because Isaac and Rebekah both know your brother wants to kill you. 
and you're our son, and we don't want that to happen. Yeah, you have to go get a wife. We would have sent Eliezer, but now we can't do that, so you have to go. We can't send our servant. You have to go, so get going. You've got a 500-mile trek in front of you. But now notice the blessing. I love this. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. I love it. It says, may God Almighty bless you. Guys, the blessing can only be as good as the one handing it out. And this is God Almighty. The word there is El Shaddai. May El Shaddai bless you. Boy, it didn't get any better than that. El Shaddai, almighty God, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-gracious, all-merciful, all-loving God, may he bless you. Oh, amen. I'll receive that. Uh, yes, please. And that's the God that we serve. He is a, a God who is greater than we can ever imagine. And he passes on the blessing. What is the blessing? That he would be fruitful and multiply. That That you may be in assemblies of people. That he would have a a promise of great heirs. When the Lord promised it to Abraham, it would be the number of the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. And he's saying that blessing, it's being narrowed down. It was Abraham. Now it's been narrowed down to Isaac. Now it's narrowed down to Jacob. And it's through that line, Jacob's name is later going to be changed to Israel. And it's through Israel that the Messiah would come. And it's being narrowed down, it's God's plan. And because it's God's plan, the blessing of God's plan is coming with it. And you're going to be blessed with an incredible number of people, with a great number of heirs. Through his line, indeed, the Messiah would come. The promise not only of heirs, but of an inheritance. And it says to give you the blessing that you have to Abraham. And, that, and then it says that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. The promise was, look, you're going to multiply beyond what you can imagine. Through your line is going to come the Messiah, and you are going to inherit the land of promise. You and your people will have the land which you are now a stranger. Guys, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we become sons and daughters of his promise, and we have the promise that our lives will be fruitful, they will multiply, just like the promise here, and we have the promise of a heavenly inheritance that will never pass away. Amen? This word, this exhortation, this word of encouragement to Jacob is a word of encouragement to us as well. He's telling him, you know, the strangers, they can get your attention. The strangers can cause you heartache. Don't worry about them because you're going to inherit their land. Don't worry. Don't be overwhelmed by the things going on in the world around you. Don't be overwhelmed by people that don't know God. Pray for them, reach out to them, desire to see them saved. But don't worry, God is greater. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. As you're going out, remember the inheritance that you have. We're just strangers here. We're just passing through. We've got something greater ahead of us. That's the word of encouragement here to Jacob. And then it says in verse 5, So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. So the word sent away literally could be interpreted fled. So while he was given an incredible blessing and could rest in the promises of God, there was still no doubt a difficult departure for domestic Jacob. He didn't know when he would return, had no idea. I know I'm going, I know it's 500 miles. Now, 500 miles through the desert, I'm thinking at least a month of walking probably longer 
Long time. This long trip. So it's going to be a month or so there, a month or so back at least. You're going by yourself. You've never lived off the land before. You're not a hunter. Boy, you're going to have to put feet to your faith right now. You're leaving right now, and okay, there you go. And he fled, and he's leaving with haste, which meant he didn't have time to gather up. He doesn't take anybody with him from the text. He doesn't take any tents, it doesn't look like. He has nothing. He just goes 500 miles. Get going. But you know what's so good? When God sends us out anywhere, he's always with us. And we're about to see that. He's being pushed out of his comfort zone. And you know what? So too do we need to be prepared for that. So those being forced to leave, it was a consequence of sin. God's perfect will is still going to be done. God would use the, the coming trial to perfect his faith. He's going to be out there. God knew all along he was going to be out there. But guys, remember this. A couple things. The difficulties in life can be the consequence of sin. It can be Jonah. Why did Jonah end up in the fish? Because God said, go to Nineveh. He said, I'm not going. He went the opposite way. And you're not going to do that to God. He's God. The ship started turning, and everybody was like, what's happening to us? And Jonah went, it's me. And I love the fact that he got swallowed by a fish and belched up in Nineveh. You know, you can get there your way or God's way. You go your way, go God's, you know, you go the, the, the rebellious way, you, you know, your skin's melted off and you smell like a fish. I mean, that's what happens. And so he goes the wrong way, and that's what can happen with trials. They can be consequences of sin like Jonah or Samson or even the life of David, but they can also happen when we're walking in the center of God's will like Daniel, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Elijah. So Jacob is now being obedient to the charge of his father, where before he was not listening, where before he's trying to deceive his dad, his dad comes with a word of blessing, but also a word of challenge, and he's going to respond by faith. Notice also at the end of that verse, significantly, that it mentions Jacob first and Esau second. Jacob and Esau. Who was born first? Esau. But Jacob was the son of promise. And that's why Jacob is listed first. So, inheriting our father's faith. How does our father's faith become our own? Second point. When we seek to please our heavenly father more than our earthly father. Look at verse 6. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there. And that he had blessed him and gave him charge saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Now Esau may have thought up until this point that you know, me and dad are kind of on the same side, right? Didn't his dad want to bless him? It says that he loved Esau and his mom loved, loved Jacob. And he might have thought dad's on my side. And all of a sudden now, he sees that dad openly and clearly pronounces the blessing on Jacob. And he sends Jacob to go get himself a wife. And he hears his father say, you're not to take a wife from the Canaanite people. Now, at this point... Esau has two wives, and they're from where? Canaan. Oh. Now, you already got two Canaanite wives. Two wives, wrong. Canaanite wives, wrong, wrong, right? And now your dad says, son, no Canaanite wives. And Esau's like, oh, dude, my dad already gave the blessing away. I don't have the birthright anymore, and now I got the wrong wives. I've really blown it. I got to get dad's favor back somehow. I know, let me get another wife who's not a Canaanite. That'll help, that'll do it. Let me get wife number three who's not a Canaanite. You know what, this guy, Esau, does not get it. 
Esau has been called the son of the flesh. That's exactly what he is. He's doing things based on what makes sense in his mind. He's already unequally yoked. He's already, we know that it even says that it brought grief to the heart of his parents because of who he married. Oh no, you, oh no. What were you, son? You married to idol worshipers. No. Oh, and you know what? Isaac still wanted to bless him after that. That shows you we get in your flesh sometimes. But Isaac and Rebekah were highly displeased with his choice of wives. And so Esau, who for so long had been caught up in just feeding his flesh, it seems, again, he and his dad had always had a good relationship. He's angry at Jacob. He wants his father to be happy with him. He heard his words, don't take a wife from Canaanite women. So he's thinking, okay, what can I do to make my dad happy? Now, there may be, I, I think there's nothing wrong with wanting to please your parents. But you should not want to please your parents if it requires you to go outside of God's will to do it. Amen? You know, it says in Proverbs, the glory of children are their fathers. The idea is that a child takes great pride in their father. They're proud of who their dad is. They want to be, they want to be anyway. They want their kid, that's my dad. You know, they want that. They, they desire that. And can I tell you that I have a special burden for young men especially, but young women as well, growing up without dads. It's a heavy burden on my heart. It really is. I've been praying a long time, Lord, how do we better minister to those guys who never really had a godly example to follow, a godly example to... I'm so blessed to have a godly dad. I, I'm so blessed. I praise God for it. But you know what? Every, every one of us... If you don't have a godly earthly father, you do have the perfect heavenly father. And if your dad has blown it, you still have the ultimate example in the father who loves you enough to send his son to die that you might have eternal life. But this is a word of exhortation that he desires so much to please his dad. And he's looking for his dad to... to sh- and that's why I'm saying again, don't, dads, don't be stingy handing out your approval. Don't be stingy. Tell your kids more than you do, how much you appreciate them, how much you love them, how blessed you are when they do things well. Be a source of encouragement, not the one they're afraid to see the car in the driveway because you came home and they think they're going to get it yet again. Amen? Some of you have had that. You grow home, man, oh, dad's home. Oh, no, not good, right? Wait till your father gets home. Don't do that, moms, either. (laughs) And so we see here that The problems arise when the focus is more on pleasing our earthly father than our heavenly father. And and what Esau needs to do here is change the dad he's trying to please. You know, Jesus came to earth, and he's our example. And guess what? When he was on earth, he was not focused on pleasing his earthly father, but his heavenly father. Amen? Now, you know he was the best kid ever. Can you imagine being James? How'd you like to be Jesus' half-brother? How's that working out for you? I mean, it would be awesome to have the Son of God be your brother, but it'd be kind of tough to live up to it at home, amen? Why can't you be more like your brother? Oh, come on, Mr. Goody Two Sandals. I'll never be like him. How am I going to? I'll never live up to it. It's never going to work. But notice that when he was on earth, do you remember the first time you see, we see Jesus born and then some time goes by and we see him, he's 12 years old. And where is he? It says in, John, in Luke, now so it was after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. 
And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? Jesus' whole life was wrapped up in doing the will of his heavenly father. We know he was obedient to his earthly father because he's without sin and he's perfect. But his focus and his passion was doing the will of the heavenly father. It says in John 8, And he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. The healthiest thing we can do in our life is learn to please our heavenly father. Again, sometimes we're trying to get our earthly father's attention. Sometimes we're so desperate to, to get his approval that we're willing to water down or deny our faith. May it never be so. Best thing you can do for your earthly dad is serve your heavenly dad. That's the way you can minister to him. Esau's focus was on pleasing his earthly dad, so look what he does. And it says, so he heard that, you know, you shall not take a wife from the daughter of Canaan, verse 7, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother, and God to pay down Aram. And Esau saw the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Jacob hears the charge for his brother. He hears and knows that will please his dad. He wants to please his dad. So instead of seeking the Lord or coming to his dad and getting godly counsel, he decides the way to interpret that and respond. Verse 9. So Esau went to Ishmael. And took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, and the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. He wants to please his dad, so he goes and gets not a Canaanite woman, but a woman who's an Ishmaelite. Now, Ishmael was fruit of a fleshly relationship between Abraham and Hagar, the maidservant. And Ishmael was outside of God's will. They were not to intermarry with Ishmael either. He has selective hearing. She's not a Canaanite. Good enough. Let me just get one of those. Not a Canaanite. She's actually related to us. There we go. Okay, Dad, look. I'm great. Look what I did. You know, we can do that with God. We can kind of be selective with the Bible. We can go around and make verses match what we want. Well, she's been to church. That means good enough. Been to church one time, I, I saw her there, I, I saw her driving by a church. That's good enough. I mean, sometimes we are so desperate to get what we want that we try to conform God's word to our way. Well, I'm going to lead her to Christ, and I figure if I married to her, that would be a really good way to spend time with her. No! Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why is Esau having a problem? We see no prayer life. There's not one time recorded that I know of in Scripture of Esau praying. Not once. And then you wonder why he's making bad choices. Guys, when we find ourselves in a mess, I guarantee you we can look back and realize, I didn't pray about this. I wasn't in the Word about this. I didn't seek godly counsel about this. I didn't wait on the Lord about this. I responded to my flesh and it didn't work out too good. That's exactly where Esau is. He's trying to please his heavenly Father. To the point of going contrary, or his earthly father, to the point of going contrary to the commands of his heavenly father. He's trying to please his earthly father, and it's only going to make matters worse. Now he's got three wives, all of them contrary to the will of God, all of them outside of his parents' wishes. And again, is it any wonder that God chose Jacob and not Esau? You know what, though? The consequences of Esau's behavior are there, but the consequences of Jacob's behavior have taken place because now Jacob's gone. 
Jacob's going to have a 20-year absence from his family. And that's a consequence of what he had done earlier when he deceived his father. Jacob's role in establishing the tribes of Israel would require the strengthening of his character. And guys, for some of us, you know, you're walking with the Lord and you, you, know, you get the faith of your father in a pretty easy way. It just kind of happens over time. Maybe as you're growing up, you just grow in it. And it doesn't require some radical event. But you know what? For most people, it requires a radical event. It requires a point where we get to the place where mom and dad can't jump in anymore and now I've got to stand for God on my own. And that's exactly what's going to happen because this is not going to be a six-week self-help book that uh, uh, you know Jacob's going to read and go, oh, good, got it, okay, I'm transformed now. I'm broken in my spirit and I'm truly going to serve God. I get it. No, that's not what's going to happen. He's going to have to go out into the wilderness. He's going to have to face difficulty. And he's going to have to come to a place where he's desperate for God. There comes a time in every man's life when he must leave his father and mother if he's to fulfill God's will for his own life, and especially when he takes a wife. So inheriting our father's faith, when our father's faith becomes our own, as he blesses and challenges us, when we seek to please our heavenly father more than our earthly father, the exact opposite of the example we just read, And then finally, when we hear, thirdly, when we hear directly from the Lord, now look what happens. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. Haran, 500 miles away, the land where Rebekah was from. He's headed out from Beersheba, which is the southernmost point of modern Israel. So he came to a certain place and staying there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he laid down in that place to sleep. So Jacob goes out, he's alone, he's traveling light, he's hurrying to escape the potential wrath of his brother, no caravan, no tent, no armed servants, nothing to protect him against beasts or bandits, he's not a hunter like his brother, he has no worldly experience of knowing how to deal with this, he's alone in a strange and a dangerous country, and he's got a 500 mile journey in front of him. So Jacob, this is leaving the comforts of home. I can't seek counsel from mom and dad. In the midst of the great trial, he, had, he was going to be in a place where he has to be totally reliant upon God. Where mom and dad can't solve it because they're not here. That I can't turn anywhere else but up. And Lord, sometimes that's what you have to do because that's where we're so stubborn otherwise. No one to cry out to but God. He's walking by himself for 500 miles. That's going to be a long journey. And while, again... It's a difficult place to be. It's right where God wanted him to be. And while we face the trials of life, remember that it may be exactly the place God wants us to be. And we will be ready to listen if God, again, is working on our heart and we're hearing from him. Now, I want you to notice something. At this point, he's gone 70 miles. We're going to notice later he's at Bethel. Bethel. Bethel is 70 miles away. So he's traveled 70 miles. He's probably been traveling for two or three days. And he's going to go to sleep. And he is, he is exhausted. And the way I know he's exhausted, he's using a rock for a pillow. You've got to be really tired to go to sleep on a rock. And you know what else? It tells me it was really desolate because wood is softer than a rock. There must have been no wood because he's in the desert and there's nothing around but rocks. And so he's laying down on a rock. He is spent. And I love this picture because he's at the end of himself physically and that's when God's going to show up. When we come to the end of ourselves in our flesh, we come to the place where we're entirely poured out and spent and we can't do it anymore, so often that's when God shows up. 
when we're not trying or striving in our flesh any longer. Now, I believe that he's had two or three days, and no doubt during that time he's been walking, having quiet time with the Lord. And I think of no greater place than walking in obedience and spending quiet time with the Lord with absolutely no distractions. That's exactly where he is. Nobody distract him, you know, no video games to play, you know, nothing going on around him. He's walking through the desert. It's he and the Lord. He's had three days alone with God. He's been spending time quietly in his presence. He's crying out to him, no doubt. Lord, I need direction. I don't even know where I'm going. Lord, protect me. Lord, watch over me. He's to the point of exhaustion. He falls asleep on a rock. And then God shows up. Look at verse 12. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Never before had God appeared to Isaac. I mean, to, excuse me, Jacob. He appeared to Abraham. He had appeared to Isaac, but nowhere else in Scripture. This is the first time. It goes from dad had spent time with God and told me about it. Grandpa had spent time with God and told me about it. Mom had spent time with God and told me about it. And now Jacob's going to spend time with God. Going beyond being mom and dad's faith and mom and dad's God to being his own. The ladder reached down. Now the word ladder there literally could mean a wide staircase. Stairway to heaven. Interesting. But notice that this staircase, imagine a really wide staircase where angels could be going up and going down. And I want you to know that this was not some you know, magical vortex in the earth that has one place that enters into heaven. This is not a sci-fi movie. Amen? The point is, this is happening all over the world, all the time. Do you realize it's a spiritual battle that we're in? Do you realize the Bible says we entertain angels unaware? Do you know that we're not alone? Aren't you glad? First of all, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Almighty God's on our side, and the angels watch over us. The angels take an active role at times, and we see that throughout Scripture. But all of a sudden, it's opened up to him. He thinks he's alone. I'm out here in the dirt. I'm all by myself. What am I going to do? I have no direction. I'm away from my parents. God, I'm desperate. And God opens up in a dream and shows him, the angelic hosts are coming back and forth to minister to you. You are not alone. I am with you. He didn't have the Holy Spirit the way that we do today. But praise God. I love this picture. It says in Hebrews, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who inherit salvation? God's angels are active upon the earth. They take very special interest in God's people and working in their lives. Jacob's life had a lot of spiritual activity. He's a patriarch. He's a bloodline of the Messiah. And notice that in those cases, God has got a really active role, but I believe he has an active role in all of our lives. And we see angels throughout the Old Testament. You know, it says in 2 Kings, you remember the story where the king of Syria, they're surrounded, and Elijah just kind of chilling, and Gehazi's like, Elisha, dude, there's like me and you, and look at all these people. Why aren't you worried? And he prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes. And Gehazi looked up, and what did he see? Chariots of fire surrounding the armies that were against them. And then he knew why Elisha had peace. Guys, that's the battle we fight. And the battle belongs to the Lord. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we're never outmanned and never outnumbered because you plus God is the majority. And he understood that. And the encouraging word to us is that angels indeed do watch over us. 
It says in Second Chronicles, Micaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing on his right and on his left. In Daniel chapter 9, an angel appeared to him and brought interpretation from a vision. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and the angel showed up and ministered to him. In, John, in Luke 22, Jesus is praying in the garden and an angel appeared from heaven and strengthened him. In Acts 27, It says, For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong, whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. The angel came to Paul in the midst of the storm. He wasn't alone. God's in control. And here's the word of encouragement as he's laying in the desert. He's blown it. It's his own consequences that have brought him there. But God's a gracious God and says, Jacob, I'm with you. I'm watching over you. i got a plan for your life. Jacob knew beyond any question he could not do it alone, and now he knew that he was not alone. One last point on this ladder. We could talk about it for a week. But I love how it talks about in the garden that man was separated from God by sin. It happened in the Garden of Eden. But now there's a bridge between man and God. John chapter 1 says, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Who's that? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ isn't an example of the way. He is the way. And He is the one through whom the angels come back and forth down to heaven, from heaven to earth. That's what it says. They ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. So He is the ladder. So the ladder that comes down to Jacob, Israel, is the Lord. Man, I love this. The Bible rocks, amen? And the ladder's coming down, and he's ministering to him, even though he's blown it, even though he was outside of God's will, even though he had tried to deceive his father. And in the midst of all of that, his father blesses him, his father challenges him, he obeys. He's out not knowing where he's going, he's in the desert, he feels alone, he's having quiet time with God, and the Lord opens up his eyes to the truth of who he is and comforts him in the midst of all of it. Whatever you're going through tonight, God's faithful. And he wants to reach down and comfort you right in the middle of all of it. Verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land of which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Hey, you think it might be a little encouraged after that? You've been walking through the desert by yourself for three days and God shows up and tells you this. Now this is the very same promise he heard from his dad and hearing it from dad is good, but hearing it from God is better. Dad told me, dad told me, now God told me. I heard it from dad. Now I've heard it from the Lord. I am the Lord God of your father. I'm your grandpa's God. I'm your dad's God. And now I'm your God. It's a life-changing personal encounter with almighty God. Not just hearing it from dad anymore. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a promise that the Messiah would come through him. Who would one day bring a blessing to the entire world. And behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. You know, what I love about this promise is it's unconditional. God promised to do all these things for Jacob. Why? Because he was perfect? The previous chapter, he's deceiving. This reminds me of the New Testament promise to us. Philippians 1.6. 
being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know what? Jacob, you've blown it, but I'm going to be faithful. I still got a plan for your life. I'm still going to use you in a mighty way. Point number four of inheriting our father's faith. When his presence produces a heart of worship. Look at verse 16. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? I guess so. You know, if you're asleep and a ladder opens up and Almighty God shows up and you see angels coming up and down and then he makes a promise to you, that word awesome gets thrown around a lot, but boy, it belongs in that sentence. How awesome is this place? Whoa! I'm laying on a rock and this is pretty awesome all of a sudden. Better to be laying on a rock with God than back at home without him, amen? Out in the wilderness with God than in the most comfortable place without him. Jacob seemingly for the first time senses that God indeed is with me. How awesome is this place? There is not, this is not other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Where's the house of God? Wherever God's people are. Amen? Here's Jacob all by himself out in the middle of the desert. You can be by yourself in the middle of nowhere. If you're a child of God, that's the house of God. Because he's dwelling inside of you. Amen? And here he is. This is the house of God. (coughs) Jacob is struck with awe. He's afraid. But the Bible tells us the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. There needs to be some awe and reverence for God. You know, we don't have enough awe and reverence for God today. People curse God, mock God, make fun of God. There needs to be more fear. Let me ask you a question. We're almost done. Let's suppose something happened to you and you suddenly had your eyes opened and all of a sudden you became aware that you were standing in the very presence of God himself. And you looked and you saw his throne. Majestic, awesome, huge, powerful, blinding light, glorious, pure, all-knowing. There you were, tiny, dirty, and puny. Around God's throne, you got glimpses of the vast angelic armies, huge angels, and their fierce countenances, blazing weapons, their awesome power, all bowing in awe and reverence before Almighty God. And it says, King of kings upon his throne, and each one is yielding to the bidding of his master. If we were there, how would we respond? Just like everyone else, we'd fall over like dead men. Guess what? That, that picture is real. And it's happening right now in heaven. And guys, it ought to bring us to a place of reverence. A place of awe. And that awe and reverence ought to produce a heart of worship. This is how worship takes place. We respond to the truth of who Almighty God is. Guys, if we saw God for half a second, we'd be dead. We couldn't take it. But if he allowed us to, it wouldn't take a second. And we would all go, oh. We would worship more. That's why we need to spend time in the Word because when we know the Word of God, we get to know the God of the Word and we will worship more. Lord, bring that heart of worship into our hearts. The promise that He made, Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. That's the promise to Jacob. And to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. God is with us. It ought to produce a heart of worship. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put his head on, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. This was an act of worship. What produced worship? A glimpse of who God is. A glimpse of who God is should produce worship in our hearts as well. He didn't have an animal to sacrifice, so he pours out this oil, this anointing oil upon the rock. Verse 19, he called the name of that place Bethel by the name of that city that had been Luz previously. Bethel means house of God. And it's the house of God because God is there. 
from a God-forsaken wasteland to the house of God. As I said before, better in a desolate wilderness than a palace without him. Not about personal comfort, but his glory. The things that used to be so important aren't important anymore. Final point. Inheriting our father's faith. We no longer see the need to put him to a test. You know what? Isaac's doing, or Jacob's doing really well until now. Last three verses. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I may come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Jacob! Don't you want to shake Jacob? Dude, the ladder just came down from heaven. Almighty God just spoke to you. You just saw him. You were blown away. You were in reverence. And now you made an altar and went, okay, as long as you keep your side of the deal, you take care of my clothes and my food, make sure I get back to my parents when time's up, you'll be my God. Guys, our God needs to be God no matter what. We don't put conditions on God, amen? We shouldn't love God more when things are good than when they're tough. Because if they're tough, God allowed them to be tough for a reason. Being sleeping on that rock was the best thing ever happened to Jacob. But from the outward appearance, it would seem like poor Jacob, right? Had to leave the comfort to go to the rock. Well, guess what? On the rock is where we meet the rock. Amen? And then he says this, And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Again, giving to God is good, but our giving to him should not be conditional. Shouldn't be God, okay, as soon as I make this amount of money a year, then I'll give you. Lord, whatever I have is yours. Lord, it all belongs to you. God's promise, I am the Lord. I will give to you. I am with you. I will not leave you. And Jacob's vow, if God will be with me and keep me in the way that I am going and give me bread and clothing, and then I will serve him. How much better? Here's Jacob's. Here's what his prayer should have been. And here's what our prayer should be. We'll close with this. Because you promised to be with me and keep me and provide my needs and bring me back to the land which you swore to my fathers, Lord, whether you do that or not, I'm yours. Lord, whether I find my wife or not, I'm yours. Lord, nothing's better, nothing's more important than you are. But God is gracious enough to deal even with the carnal response of Jacob. This is still going to be his guy. Isn't that a word of encouragement for all of us? He's still his guy. God looks down at Jacob and goes, knucklehead did i just what did i just do for you but you know what has he ever done that to us anybody else have been here been a knucklehead with god god tells you something you go okay god now if you do this for me then lord help us beyond be moved beyond that so inheriting our father's faith when our father's faith becomes our own as he blesses and challenges us when we seek to please our heavenly father more than our earthly father when we hear directly from the lord when his presence produces a heart of worship and we will no longer see the need of putting him to the test. May this be true for us as his children, but may we be an example to our children that they can follow in serving him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you sent us the way. Not a way, not an example, but the way. And Lord, we thank you that you have bridged the gap through your son and through his shed blood that we might enter into eternal life. Help us to have the proper perspective of who you are. Help us, Lord, to live in holy reverence. 
Lord, to walk about knowing, Lord, the greatness of who you are. We thank you for your promises, the promise of eternal life. May we never take it for granted. We thank you, Lord, for the examples we see that the angels are with us. Lord, you never leave us alone. You've given us a down payment on heaven in the person of your Holy Spirit. Lord, strengthen us to walk in the center of your will. Help us, Lord, to love you as much, if not more, in the midst of the trial as when everything seems to be great. Lord, may our love for you be as unconditional as your love for us. Lord, help us. We can't do this without you. Fill us afresh with your spirit. We're so desperate for you. And Lord, we can't wait till we really are about your throne. Just a glimpse of who you are is going to drive us to our knees. But Lord, we can't wait. We love you and we praise you. Give us a glimpse of that even now. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.